The Economist. From The Economist in London, this is Money Talks, a weekly conversation around news in business, finance, and economics. I'm Stan Penyal, the banking editor, and joining me this week are Callum Williams, our economics correspondent, and Ed McBride, editor of the finance and economics section. This week, we'll talk about Greece's tussle with creditors, America's shaky economy, and China's gyrating stock markets. Edward, let's start with Greece. Uh, The prospect of Greek default, and with it potentially its exit from the Eurozone, seems to be getting ever closer. Athens has threatened to default on IMF loans, not for the first time, but at the same time, there seems to be some kind of negotiation paving the way for some kind of deal. Where do we stand? Well, it is, as usual, a muddle with Greece. We're we're not quite clear, but it does seem that we really are, really, really uh, heading towards some kind of uh, a a climax in the coming days. Greece has to repay the IMF 300 million euros by the 5th of June. It has said it will not have the money to make that payment. As, As you mentioned in the past, obviously, they've They've hinted that they won't have the money there, but but this time their their claim seems quite credible. They've said they will pay pensions and salaries for for civil servants on the thirty first of May, and and that basically will empty the government coffers. So, unless there's a deal by the fifth of June, we will be looking at not necessarily a Greek departure from the euro, but a default which will, I think, in turn mean capital controls for Greece, maybe freezes on Greek bank accounts and so on. Edward, it's nearly unprecedented for a rich country, and Greece still is a rich country, to to default on IMF loans. So clearly a deal is possible. But if there is one, what might it look like? I think there's definitely scope for a deal. I I think even the seemingly hardline Eurozone governments that, that have really been holding Greece's feet to the fire accept the idea that it will not run quite as big a primary surplus as it had initially promised, accept the fact that there will be some relaxation in, in terms of, of, of the budget and some spending in areas that was previously uh, due to be cut. I, I, I think that part's okay. The real question is, how do you translate that extra spending into a, uh, a, a broader picture about what happens with Greece's debts in the long run? The IMF wants Greece's debts to be written down again, to accept that the, that the last agreement when the, the previous bailout was struck is, was unrealistic and that, that not all that money is going to be repaid. And I think Eurozone governments who, who face a, a big political problem if they s- seem to be going soft on Greece, they, they, lots of them are facing uh, impending elections. They don't want to seem like they're, they're uh, going easy on Greece again. So they're very reluctant to accept that haircut. And I think that's the bit where we're really going to have trouble in the long run. There's a lot of symbolic stuff as well, right? It seems from the outside, you know, the, the rehiring of the cleaners that had been fired uh, under the old government, uh, pension reforms that are going clearly in the wrong direction if, if you're the EU. Clearly, the uh, government of Alexis Tsipras is going to have to stand down uh, on some pretty totemic issues if a deal is going to be struck. But is there a scope for that within his coalition? Well, uh, the Prime Minister, Alexis Tsipras, just had uh, talks over uh, the weekend within his party and seemed to receive a mandate to to go off and strike a deal. 
obviously the political calculation for him is, is how much can I climb down without undermining the very premise with which Syriza was elected and without inflaming opposition to the government from within its own uh, uh, MPs. Already, they've climbed down on some things. They've said they'll, they'll resume privatizations. On the campaign trail, Syriza said privatizations would be halted. I think the thing they really can't do, and what seems to be really still holding up negotiations, is say they're going to Uh, slash pensions, cut into the kind of social spending that will go directly to their voters who who put them in office precisely to end at least that form of austerity. Thanks, Edward. Uh, I have a hunch we'll be returning to this one next week. Uh, Callum, let's look at the American economy. It's been healthy enough uh, recently to pick up the slack caused by the Eurozone's never-ending problems, but there are signs that may no longer be the case. No, that's quite right. So the first estimate of the first quarter GDP growth, which came out a couple of weeks ago, was was pretty was pretty bad. It was you know 0.2 percent annualized growth. And then on Friday we have the first revision of that the first quarter GDP estimate. And some people are saying that it's likely to become negative. Now that wouldn't mean that America was technically technically in a recession because you need you need two quarters of, of of consecutive negative growth for that to be the case. But certainly compared to last year when the American economy was kind of, you know, steaming ahead, things have have certainly slowed down a bit. Now, whenever we talk about Q1, we have to talk about the weather. Uh, There seems to be a debate between economists, some of them saying the Q1 figures might be soft because of the weather, others saying actually something more fundamental may be afoot. Absolutely. So uh, since the recession, um, something is quite an interesting quirk is that the first quarter uh, GDP growth um, has has always been kind of relatively slow compared to to subsequent quarters. So it's the America's always started off the year relatively badly, and that is, as you say, partly down to sort of uh, season, seasonal things such as um, the sort of unseasonably bad weather that, that happened at the beginning of this year. On the other hand, there are a couple of things which are working against America. I mean, for example, wage growth in the last year has been pretty sluggish. Oil firms, in particular, have been really cutting back in investment and kind of capital spending as a result of the oil price decline. Consumers are feeling perhaps not terribly ambitious and, you know, uh, retail sales have not been doing so well in the last few years. A few states look as though they've fallen into a session, in fact, like uh, Texas, surprisingly enough. Depends who you ask, really, but a, a lot of people think that things are actually turning for the worse in America. And Callum, the, the slowing economy might actually push back a rise in U.S. interest rates, which would have an impact not only on the U.S. economy, but on the global economy. Absolutely. So Yellen's in the kind of temporary camp, as it were. She thinks that it's largely down to seasonal factors. And so September at the moment looks like the most likely rate hike. Thanks, Callum. Ed, last week, Hanergy, a solar energy company listed in Shanghai, saw its share price plunge, uh, prompting some to wonder whether this was the beginning of the end for China's overheated stock market. Uh, is it? Well, there are definitely signs of strain. You just need to look at some of the valuation figures to get a sense of of just how booming the stock market is. It's a little bit misleading because the the large cap shares, the the big banks in particular, don't have particularly stellar numbers. They've been a bit of a drag on the market as a whole. So even though the uh, main Shanghai index has has more than doubled over the past year, the average price earnings ratio on that index is is still less than 20, so not a particularly garishly high level. But if you look at the smaller cap shares, in particular, if you look at tech 
tech firms. For example, there's a, a special tech board called Chinext. That has an average price earnings ratio of 130. That's dot-com bubble levels. And it's not just tech firms. The SME board has an average uh, price earnings of, of 100. Clearly, it's quite hard to justify those kinds of valuations on any kind of fundamentals. What seems to be happening is that mom-and-pop investors in China are, are plunging into the, the stock market. That has created a lot of excitement, uh, a, a lot of publicity. And, and you have to assume that at some stage, there's going to be a fairly grim correction. Uh, what would a correction mean for the real economy? Well, the good news is that in spite of its its recent bull run, China's stock market is still relatively small compared to the economy. It's only about 50% of GDP versus more than 100% in most Western countries. The effects shouldn't be too bad. Uh, they'll be amplified a little bit by the fact that um, increasingly the investment in Shanghai is is uh, financed through through loans. There's a lot of uh, margin lending and so on. So, the, you know, that might have some uh, effect on the on the lenders concerned. But on the whole, what's interesting about the the run-up in the stock market is that it hasn't had a great wealth effect. We haven't seen ordinary Chinese consumers spending more, feeling rich because because the shares they bought have gone up. It, it doesn't seem to have helped companies retire loans, sort of replace loans with equity. That's not where the investment money is going. So if it all unwinds, we shouldn't see those same things in reverse. We shouldn't see households feel poor, poorer and pullback spending. We shouldn't find companies struggling to finance themselves. It doesn't seem like they really have been financing themselves through the stock market. I think the main effect in the long run is more to China's credibility as a financial center, to to the credibility of, of Chinese regulators, to uh, the credibility of attempts to make the, uh, the yuan an international reserve currency. Those are the kinds of things that will be set back. Thanks, Edward. Thanks, Callum. That's all we have time for. As always, you can find more news on business, finance, and economics at economist.com. In London, this is The Economist. The Economist.